Hello and welcome to the Flying Frisbee podcast with me, Dominic Frisbee, and thank you for being one of the many thousands of subscribers to this Substack. Apparently, we are now read or listened to by people in 104 different countries around the world. How about that? Today's piece is called The Many Life Skills That Stand-Up Comedy Teaches You and How I Became a Financial Writer. A chap called Jonathan Johnson from recruitment company Auxato got in touch with me and asked me to write this piece for him, explaining how it is I got from being a stand-up comic and voice actor to being a renowned, his words, and long-standing financial writer for Money Week with a bit of singer-songwriter, TV presenter and video maker thrown in along the lines. And I thought it was quite a good piece and he kindly gave me permission to republish it here. So here it is. And the questions are Jonathan's. Stand-up comedy, what life skills did it teach you? Stand-up comedy teaches you lots of things. How to stand on stage in front of a bunch of strangers, how to present yourself, how to entertain people, how to cope with pressure, how to deal with difficult situations and difficult people, how to think on your uh, feet, communication, clarity... These are all really useful life skills that you might call upon in any number of other situations. Everyone should go and be a stand-up for a bit. They would all be better for it. But there's a lot more to being a stand-up than what you see on stage. Behind the scenes, every comic is running a small business. Every day you're trying to get gigs. You're sending out emails, making phone calls, posting on social media all with the aim of pushing your brand, getting noticed and getting better work. You're running a diary, you're invoicing for all the gigs you've done. Unsavoury promoters who are trying to wriggle out of paying help you get better at chasing money and getting paid. You're travelling up and down the country four, five, sometimes seven nights a week to places you've probably only ever heard of, meeting all sorts of different people. As a result, comics often know the country as well as anyone, all the while trying to keep costs down so that they can exit the gig at a profit. On top of that, but most fundamental of all, you've got to write an act that people find funny. You learn so many skills doing comedy, even if you're not destined for stardom, which most of us aren't, the discipline still equips you for life. You just need to look at the many people who started out as comedians who've since gone on to achieve huge success in other fields, from Joe Rogan to Vladimir Zelensky, to know there must be something in it. Yet if you're a potential employer looking at someone's CV and you see the word comedian, I bet that makes you less likely rather than more likely to call them in for an interview. In fact, most comedians who decide they've done it for long enough and now want to try something else find it near impossible to find employment because of the fact that they have comedian on their CV. The only option for most is to set up another business. What a random hodgepodge of a career you have. How did it happen? I'm now 53. The longest I've ever lasted in a proper job is three months. This was back in 1992 when I was 23. I used to get up every morning, get the tube into Leicester Square and then do 10am to 6.30pm in an office. I hated it. It wasn't that bad a job either, but I hated being stuck in an office all day with no fresh air and not owning my own time. That's not to say I'm not hard-working, I'm extremely hard-working. You just need to look at my output to see that. 
I'd spend the next 15 years working occasionally as an actor, regularly as a voiceover. For some reason, I always got more voiceover work than acting. And then from 1997, as a comedian. All the while, I was trying to get stuff published. I wrote two novels and a million articles, but never with any success. I think I got one article in The Big Issue. But by 2006, I'd made a bit of money, some in property by accident, some from voiceovers. I'd been at various points the the voice of such eminent products as First Direct, Nintendo 64 and the National Lottery. My dad had made a bit of money too, and between us we were trying to figure out how to turn our bit of money into a lot of money because we were trying to raise five million quid to bring kisses on a postcard into the West End. From what I was reading at the time... Commodities, and gold especially, seemed to be the place to invest, particularly with all the growth that was taking place in China. There were all sorts of people talking about it, but how to meet them and talk to them without having to pay them? A podcast. What gave you the inspiration for the podcast interviews? I always knew I'd be a good presenter, even though I'd never actually done it. I was good at hosting comedy clubs and other such stuff. And I approached a mining PR company called Commodity Watch and suggested we start a podcast. They didn't really understand what I was talking about, so I did it anyway and began interviewing all the various people I'd heard on the internet, talking so wisely about stuff. My very first interview was with the billionaire Jim Rogers, who'd run the Quantum Fund with George Soros. My next two were with noted silver analyst David Morgan and the gold expert James Turk. I quickly learnt that you could secure interviews with people above your station quite easily if they have something to promote, such as a book. A lot of the time people are happy to help out even if they don't have something to promote. To my surprise, there were far fewer walled gardens in the world of investment and commodities than in comedy and TV. People were much more open. What brought you? What brought about the job at Money Week? One of the people I interviewed was Merrin Somerset Webb, who at the time was editor at Money Week. We need people like you to come and write for us, she said. Come into the office next week and meet Toby, the MD. So I did. And here I am, 17 years later, and I'm still writing the same weekly column, a column that's been popular and, in terms of longevity at least, successful. I've since published three books with a fourth on the way. I've written several documentaries, one of which was a huge internet sensation, even if I was never properly credited, and more besides. I think it's fair to say that the part, that partnership with Money Week has worked, for them and me. But if I'd sent my CV into Merrin, all she would have seen was stand-up comedian, voiceover artist, occasional actor, Johnny-come-lately podcast host and unpublished novelist. I don't think she would for a second have gone, I need to get this bloke writing for us. Pretty much any employer would have looked at my CV and passed it by. But I now have this ridiculously random hotchpotch career that I can't begin to explain. I'm a financial writer, comedian, singer-songwriter, comedy music video maker, TV presenter and voiceover artist. A very nice chap who works in internet marketing and likes my output but despairs at its lack of clarity, with whom I correspond frequently, put this graphic together to try and explain what I do. And you can see the graphic in the article. So what can we learn from that episode with Merrin? Two things. One, I don't believe there is any substitute for face-to-face meetings. Meeting someone in the flesh inspires trust in a way that not a million emails can. And that, by the way, I think is why I've never had stuff published. I just sent it in. I'm not even sure it got read. It's much easier to ignore a letter or an email than someone in person. Often, 
it works in reverse too. You really admire someone online for whatever it is they've written or said, but then you meet them in person and realise this is not the type of person you should be listening to. Second, when you meet someone through the medium of an interview for a podcast rather than just a meeting, it's like a heightened encounter. You get through so much more in an hour than you otherwise would. Get to know anyone who hosts a regular podcast and you will see they are total mavens. How many people do Joe Rogan, Constantin Kissin or Stephen Bartlett know as a result of their podcasts? How powerful are their networks? They are super connected and trusted. Any introductions they make will carry weight. As it turns out, stand-up comedy was the ideal training ground for being a financial writer. In comedy, if the audience doesn't understand you, they don't laugh. If they don't laugh, you die. Thus does the comedian quickly learn that vital discipline of clarity. You also learn that you have to entertain people if you want to keep their attention. No such discipline exists in the world of financial journalism. Obfuscation is everywhere. It often almost pays to be obfuscatory because then you can say, oh, I didn't mean that, I meant this. Alan Greenspan used to talk about purposeful obfuscation, although he wasn't actually a financial writer. Some of the broadsheet journalists, guys who regularly win Finance Journalist of the Year or whatever, is as dull as ditch water and about as clear. Half the time, you have no idea what it is they're droning on about. I barely make it past the first paragraph. But you know what? They probably got the job because their CV was right. And if you want to know more about Orgzato, go to orgzato.com. They don't just rely on your CV to get to know you. Um... And there's a link in the article. And finally, just a little uh, gig alert. This May, wearing my comedy hat, I'll be coming back to Crazy Cox in Brasserie Zedell in the West End for another night of curious comedy songs. That's this May the 7th. Please come in if you're in town. They are super fun nights. Um, And if you're interested in protecting your wealth in these extraordinary times, then be sure to own some gold bullion. And my current recommended bullion dealer is the Pure Gold Company. Um, I've got a link to them at the bottom of my email. And if you do get in touch with them, make sure you told them I sent you because I have an affiliation deal with them. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time. Goodbye.